1: If you guys want to start a podcast that includes music, or you guys just want to start a podcast in general, get started by downloading the free Anchor app or going to anchor.fm. And if you need some inspiration, you can head over to blog.anchor.fm music from some more idea starters. Thank you so much, and let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Real Real podcast with Natalie Barbu. Instagram might be your highlight reel, but we're here to talk about the real real. Hi everyone and welcome back to the real real podcast with me natalie barbu you guys have highly highly requested someone in the mental health industry and also i just like interviewing people that are in industries that i'm not as aware of because i learned so much from it and it's just really cool insight to see the lives of other people the careers of other people that aren't really shown much like i feel like this podcast and a lot of other podcasts highlight a lot on like entrepreneurs and business owners. And while, don't get me wrong, I love listening to those, it's also nice listening to podcasts that have people that aren't like really interviewed that much that you don't really know that much about unless you're in that field yourself or you have a family member in that field. So I thought it'd be really interesting and also you guys really requested someone in the mental health industry. So I'm excited to give you guys this episode. Um it was a really great one with Alyssa. She is super, super sweet and just really has a passion for the place that she's in, I learned so much from her, and I know that you guys are going to absolutely love this episode. I think it's so good. But before we get into it, I did want to say thank you guys so much for all of your reviews. It means so freaking much to me that you would take time out of your day and after listening to a podcast and actually going to the iTunes store and ranking it. And like Instagram and YouTube, there's not really a way to engage with podcast episodes. Like, you can't really comment on a podcast episode, you can't like thumbs it up or anything like that. So reviews is really the only way to engage with the podcast and it really does help me out so thank you guys again for reviewing this one comes from i'm not even gonna say the name because it's just like a name i know that someone probably made when they were in like seventh grade it's called amazing workout so i don't i don't really know why this is the username but They said, I love listening to her podcast. Whenever I listen to this podcast, I get more inspired by listening to this podcast on Mondays. I like doing it in the beginning of the week because it does, I feel like, put you in a good mindset for the week. Like, you get motivated, you get inspired. Versus like if I uploaded this on a Thursday, you might not want to listen to it going into your weekend because your weekend's time to have fun. So that's why I like doing it in the beginning of the week. Um, I'm really glad that you guys have been liking it, though. It means so much to me. And I don't like making long intros. So we're going to get into it and hear mine and Alyssa's really, really interesting conversation. Hi, Alyssa. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Thank you for having me. So Alyssa, if you guys don't know, is a mental health counselor, and I am so excited to have her on. So we are just going to start with setting the record straight. This is where I say some stereotypes and assumptions, and then you're going to tell me if they're true or false based on your own experiences. Sounds good. So the first one is you should only seek counseling or therapy if you feel depressed.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's definitely false. Um. I have clients who are coming in for a wide range of concerns and sometimes it can definitely look like depression, anxiety, um, the typical things that you think about that um, a counselor would address. But a lot of times people come in just to um, like do this as an act of Mm -hmm. self-care. They want someone to talk to that's unbiased, that's going to be on their side unconditionally, um, who can kind of, you know... Give them another view of what's going on in their life. So it's definitely more than just depression. Um, but a lot of it also is depression and anxiety. So, right. To do it.
1: I feel like now it's so much more common to go to therapy and to seek counseling because it's so much, it's talked about way more, which mm-hmm. is such a good thing, I think. So now people are going to it, like you were saying, as an act of self care instead of just when they're feeling like at their lowest, which I think is awesome.
0: Oh yeah, it's great, and I think there are definitely pros and cons to this whole self-care movement <laughs> that I'm seeing. Um, it's very interesting, but I think one of the best things that's come from it is like people talking about therapy, normalizing it, um, being like less afraid to make that first phone call. Right. So that's really good.
1: And there is a stigma about seeking help.
0: Yeah, uh, that's tricky. I would say, yes, I think there still is. And I think it depends what generation you come from. Right. Um, I feel like the older generation, like mental health was not talked about. It was kind of just the, like, you suck it up and deal with it. Um, everything gets swept under the rug. Um, but I think the younger generation is feeling more comfortable, Um Asking for help and being able to seek out services, I feel like there are more and more services in schools, which helps a lot because if a kid grows up knowing, okay, here's my mental health therapist in my school, I can talk to them when they get to college and they're having trouble, they might be more willing to then go seek out help.
1: Right, right. No, I definitely think it is a generational thing. Like, people my age are very open, like, oh, yeah, I have therapy on Wednesdays, you know. And I feel like older generations, it was more hidden and more taboo, and you didn't want to tell anyone if you were going. So I think that that's like a really great thing about our generation.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think it can be cultural too. Like, certain true, true. Cultures yeah. Are, you know, it's very um, focused on perfectionism, and that can lead to a lot of mental health disorders. But if, you know, you want to, have this like portray your life as this perfect ideal, then you don't want to be admitting that you're going to therapy or that you're thinking about going to therapy. So there's a big cultural aspect too.
1: introducing way's new anti frizz cream it is like a superhero for your hair it provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours i actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good so how does this fit into my hair routine it is the best thing i could have done for my hair i am all about saving time and the anti frizz cream does just that plus the sydney inspired north bondi scent is so amazing you can think bergamot italian lemon violet and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage, because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz-free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 450 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration. And according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I just wanted to take a quick break to thank TM Soft's White Noise Sleep Sounds for sponsoring today's episode. Are you having trouble sleeping, focusing, or relaxing? If the answer is yes, then TM Soft's White Noise Sleep Sounds podcast has got you covered. This hour long podcast is made to help you get rid of distractions, reduce stress, relax, and get better sleep. You can listen to the sounds of nature, white noise, relaxing music, and so much more. You can check out the TM Soft's White Noise Sleep Sounds podcast on Spotify or wherever else you listen to your favorite
0: podcasts.
1: Right. And the last one is mental health disorders
0: are uncommon. Oh my goodness. That's so false. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's super common. I think anxiety especially is like an epidemic
1: Mm -hmm. right
0: now. Um, Yeah. I think that like tons of people struggle with anxiety, even if it's not on a clinical level, which means like they wouldn't necessarily, um, meet the criteria for a diagnosis of anxiety. Sometimes people will just have, we call it an adjustment disorder with an- anxiety or anxious feelings. Um, and that could be like, I'm going to college for the first time and I'm really anxious about it. You might not be anxious in your day-to-day life, but you have a situation that makes you anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, and that- normal, but there are also so many things that like can help combat that, um, that a mental health therapist would know about and would know how to guide you through. So I think anxiety is a big one. Of course, there are other ones that are really big, um, ADHD, depression, um, just to name a few of like the most common ones that I see, but I'm also in private practice so that I see like a little bit different of clientele than maybe someone who's working in a mental health agency would.
1: Got it. Got it. And now just tell us a little bit about yourself. So where you grew up, where you went to school. um, Yeah, just like who
0: you are. Sure. Um, So I grew up in Akron, Ohio, and I attended um, for my undergraduate degree, a Catholic college called John Carroll, pretty small school, got a um, bachelor's in middle childhood education. And I did end up using that for a few years and worked while I was, um, attending grad school to get my clinical mental health therapy license. Um, so that's kind of been my journey with that. I realized quickly after I got my education degree that I did not want to handle big groups of kids all at once. (laughs) So I knew that I really wanted to like work one-on-one, um, with kids or with adults. And so I figured that therapy is very needed. And Mm. I saw that, um, that was an option. Like I would have needed my bachelor's degree anyways. And I think there's a big misconception that you need like a psychology undergraduate degree, or, um, there's another common one. People get like child development or, um, human development, I think is another one that people get, but you can really have any undergraduate degree to go into, um, clinical mental health.
1: Right. Yeah. I feel like because what you're doing, since you do need to get a master's, it is actually, I feel like it could be more well-rounded if you got a degree that not everyone gets. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's wrong. But I feel like if you're applying to grad schools and having something that kind of stands out, looks good too.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree because it Enabled me to work a job that paid me enough to pay for my grad school out of pocket as I went. I was making entry level, like public school pay, but that's usually better than like a lot of entry level position pays that you could get. So I thought it was great that I already had a license in something else. Like I had a teaching license while I was working to get my therapy license, and it was really helpful.
1: And at what point did you realize that you wanted to be a therapist? Was it when you were in college, or was that always your plan from the beginning?
0: Um, I have a memory sitting at my, um, where I got my undergraduate degree, John Carroll's library and just thinking to myself, like, I think I was about to student teach. And I was just like, I don't think I want to do this. Like (laughs) that moment of terror where you're like almost done with your degree and you realize it's not what you wanted. Um, so I think I knew at the very end of college that I was going to pursue some sort of graduate degree. I wasn't really sure, um, what. But I knew that I really liked talking to people and that I definitely wanted to do something social. Like teaching is so social, even though you're talking to kids all day long. Um, It's very, very like an extroverted field to be in. So I kind of wanted to stay along those lines. But yeah, I think end of college, I had that moment.
1: That's crazy because... I feel like so many college students get to that point where they are at 3 years in, 4 years in of their degree and they're like wait, I don't know if I want to do this anymore, which is probably such a scary feeling. And that's that's so good that you had experienced that and like came out the other end and now you're so happy doing what you're doing because it gives so many people hope that it doesn't you don't have to exactly love your degree. Like you can always pivot.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes. And so many people end up doing it. Like I work with a lot of college students is one of my biggest demographics. I work, um, basically in a college town. Um, and so many of them are at that point and I'm like, it's going to be okay. Like this was my life too. So there are many things that you can do from here, you know? Right. And
1: is counseling or therapy something that everyone should do? Would you recommend everyone should go see a counselor, or go see a therapist? Or do you think it's only for certain people?
0: You know, I think it definitely could be beneficial for everyone at different points of their life. Um, And I think it really just depends on the person too. Because Mm -hmm. I think some people are just – not at the point where they can talk about things yet. Like I've had clients come in and just be really, really triggered by talking about things. Like it's a very, it can be a slow process. Um, So you have that end of the spectrum where like some people have never shared things that have happened to them with anyone. And they're trying to sit down and talk about that for the first time. And that can be, be really hard. And then you have people who you know, are coming in with maybe uh, less like, quote unquote, severe concerns, but they still want someone to talk to. And I think that that can be beneficial. And life is such a journey too. Like you're going to go through things in life that are hard. I think one type of counseling that I see as very normalized is grief counseling. um, Because at some point in your life, you're probably going to lose someone close to you, right? Like eventually you're going to. And I see a lot of people have their first... um, Experience with therapy in grief counseling, and then it normalizes it for them, and then they want to continue.
1: Right, right. I think that that's something that um, a lot of people don't talk about is how you don't have to be like at your lowest, or you don't have to be uh, depressed or feeling that like anxious. You, You can go to counseling really at any time, and like I like you were saying, grief counseling is definitely one of those that is more normalized because it's like, oh, it's understandable. Like you lost someone, yeah. so you should go. But just feeling anxious about work or something, people could just be like, well, suck it up and deal with it. You know, so I do think that the stigma around like grief counseling and just normal counseling and therapy is definitely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what are some misconceptions about the mental health community that you see or how you were saying how there's so many um i guess like self love like there's good things and bad things about it like what do you what do you see in that
0: oh yeah there's a lot i think just on a base level like people are confused about what we do like i'll i'll say i'm a therapist and people think i mean like i'm a physical therapist i'm an occupational therapist or um if i say i'm a counselor you know there's other things that go along with that i feel like our field has not done a very good job with defining itself Because there are so many similar things. Like, so there's counselors and therapists, which I use as a synonym. Like, to me, those are the same thing. But then there are psychologists. Well, that's different, but they can do the same role. There are social workers. (laughs) That's also different, but they can also counsel Um, And then there are psychiatrists which prescribe um, mental health medications. And people also get confused with that. Like I'll have people reach out to me and they want to talk about medication. And I'm like, I'm not a doctor. Um, I do know, you know, some baseline things about that. But overall, people are just confused about, I think, what we do in general because of all those different titles that they have to sift through.
1: Right. And take us through then your day-to-day. Like, what do you do from morning routine to when you get back home from work? Is every day the same, every day different?
0: Yeah. So, um, like I said, I'm in private practice. So my day probably looks extremely different than, um, a counselor who works at an agency. So with private practice, I'm a contractor, um, for the company that I work for. Um, I can make my own hours. I make my own schedule. I am the one who um, like schedules my own clients and decides if I'm going to take them on or not. So I typically work from 1 to 6 pm. And that's just what works for me. Every single person at my practice does something different. I think I have a coworker who works like three days a week, but she works like really long days. Um, I have another coworker who works pretty much every day, but works longer hours. It just depends on what you can um, kind of uh, get through and still have like a level head and be able to, you know, by your six sessions, still be on point with your client. And I found that six in a row is really all I can do. We do only have five minutes between sessions. So it's not like another job where you get to take breaks whenever you want, go to the bathroom. Um, I can't do any of that. I have five minutes to literally go to the bathroom and try and eat something, and then I have to get my next person in there. So that is a big challenge with wow,
1: Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, I would never think about that. You know, like I always think, oh, teachers, like teachers never have time to go to the bathroom because they're mm-hmm. with their students all the time. And that's very similar to what you're doing is you're constantly seeing clients. So that yes. definitely makes sense.
0: Yeah. So it's really great though. Like the flexibility otherwise is really, really great. I enjoy being in the room with people. Um, Yeah. It's just, it can be tricky with the only five minutes between clients. It's actually a a clinical hour with how we do it with insurance is 52 minutes, but some people are just hard to get, get out the door right on time. So I usually say 55 minutes and I, I try and give them a little bit of warning when we're nearing the end so they can, you know, get out of there.
1: Yeah. And do you take your work home with you in the sense that some people, that when they come in, like you're constantly thinking about them throughout the day or are you good with kind of leaving it at the office?
0: Oh, my gosh. Boundaries are huge for therapists, Um, especially with what I'm doing because like my clients have my cell phone number. I don't have a business phone. I probably will eventually. Um, I think that would be good for extra boundaries. And they have my email that goes right to my phone. So I try and leave things at the door, um, you know, with my counseling. When I leave, I turn my sign around and I try and like have that symbolically be like, okay, I'm done. Like I heard some heavy stuff today a lot of the time and that can be hard to not take home with you. But um, you have to leave it at work because it will like kind of just eat you up inside Um, and it's not doing anyone any good either. Like I could obsess about my clients problems after hours, but I only have that 55 minutes in the room with them and I want to um, be my best with them when I actually have them there and be as helpful as I can and not, you know, be run down because I'm constantly worrying about my clients
1: and did you think that that was, was that harder for you to do in the beginning? Or is it just something that you constantly have to keep practicing it?
0: You know, I think I have learned and I think teaching helped me too, because just working in the public school system, there are things that can be said to you at times where you need to like kind of leave that stuff at work too and not bring it home. So I think over time I've gotten pretty good. Um, but there are certain clients, like I think, therapists, like we have our own problems as well. So you'll hear something. And I think it's especially hard when you really resonate with what a client's going through. So if someone tells me something that's similar to my own story, um, it can be easy for me to want to take that home because it resonates with me in that way. You know, it's, it's a constant battle of trying to not do that and not let that uh, overtake you.
1: And are there any clients that you don't take on? Like if someone comes to you and it's hits too close to home or you don't want to take them on, are you able to recommend them to someone else or how does that work?
0: Yeah, I can definitely refer out if I want to. Um, I try and see adolescents and college students. And really, I would love to just have a caseload of completely college students if I could. um, That's my preferred demographic. So if someone reaches out to me, and they're not a part of that demographic, I will try and refer them to someone else in my practice that I know um, has room on their schedule for someone and also like kind of specializes in that demographic. I'm also like, after the holidays, we get a lot, a lot of people reaching out because the holidays are so hard for people. Um, So I'm basically to capacity. So some of the time I'm not even accepting new people.
1: Wow. Yeah. I, I never thought about that, how the holidays can be very, very difficult for a lot of people and that that would be a busy time for you guys. And what do you see our generation struggle with the most? Since you are dealing with college students, what are some of a some of the struggles that people come in for.
0: Yeah, I think especially with my college students, so anxiety is big because, you know, school culture really pushes you. Um, Sometimes I think depending on the degree, and I'm obviously, I'm by a, a school that really specializes in like the arts, like graphic design, interior design, architecture, things like that. They push their students so hard that I don't even think it's like realistic to what like, your actual job would be like, like they push them away over where they're like sleeping under their desks. They're, you know, they're having panic attacks every night. Like it's ridiculous. So I think anxiety is huge for college students. I think toxic relationships are really big for college students too. For whatever reason, I see a lot of people getting into relationships that they just know deep down aren't good for them, um, that they don't want to leave because of, you know, the fear of being alone, I think is really big for college students. They're away from their family. They're away from, um, you know, those things that are like comforting to them. So they'll go to a person that they find comforting. Um, and then depression's big too, because you know, you don't have anyone telling you you have to get out of bed. You don't have anyone telling you you need to do X, Y, and Z that day. Sometimes students will get stuck in the, the depression vortex and just stay in bed, skip all their classes, not talk to anyone. Um, Cause it's their first time being, you know, on their own and it's hard. Right. And
1: what is the best coping mechanism for things like this? Like, do you ever recommend some mechanisms to do like when you're feeling anxious, when you're feeling your lowest, or is really just constantly talking it out with someone like at therapy? Is that the best way to go about that?
0: Yeah, I think therapy is huge. But obviously, you know, for most people, that's going to be an hour out of their week. So coping skills are so important. Um Some of my favorites, I really like to teach deep breathing. Um, That's good because you can literally do it anywhere. Like no one's going to even notice if you are practicing it because a lot of our, a lot of our triggering times or times we feel anxious or depressed or whatever, we're not able to just stop and be like, oh, well, my coping skill today is going to be like a Netflix show. Well, you can't just like pull up a Netflix show in the middle of your class and be like, oh, sorry, I'm coping right now. Like that's just not appropriate. Um. So, I like to teach deep breathing. I also think journaling can be really, really great. Um, what else? I mean, a lot of times, like fidget toys and fidget spinners and things like that is like you know basic as that sounds that can be really helpful because it it kind of lets your body get some of that anxious energy out. um yeah, I think those are some of the big ones that I like to talk about.
1: yeah, those are always so important because some people, like you were saying. I mean, like therapy is one hour of your week and all of the other hours, like you are trying to find something to cope. So I think that that's really important just to talk about little things that you can do in your day to day. Yes, totally agree. And going back to the self-love movement, what are some pros and cons that you have seen um, with that becoming very popular?
0: Oh my goodness. Yes. So I love this movement and I'm happy that it's happening. Um, But I think a lot of times it can just turn into, like, I think that brands and companies have figured out that this is a movement, right? And they're using it to perpetuate consumerism, um, which is, you know, problematic in some ways. Um, So I just see it as like, you know, true self-care doesn't always have to be like, oh, I'm going to treat myself like that kind of mentality. True self-care can really look like you being super disciplined with your schedule, that it can look like you meal prepping on a Sunday. It can look like you setting boundaries with your family. It can look like things that don't sound fun, like face masks and bubble baths and you know those things, which are also good things. Um, but that's not all it is. I think self-care can really be like us having um, like clear goals for ourselves and being able to like do those things that help us get to our goals and not get, um, you know, distracted by all the other things.
1: I actually just had a podcast with Maya and Maya is, um, she has a blog about self-care and she talks about that. Like what you were saying, how self-care is not always going to be face masks and baths and relaxing and things like that. Like self-care can look like things that you don't want to do. And that, Yes. It's not like a fun thing to do, but it's something that you need to do to better yourself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's not talked about enough. Um, for example, I have a budget and I in one of my videos, I was like, this is a form of self-care for me is making my budget. Like, It's not mm-hmm. fun, but I know that by doing it, I am bettering myself. I am sticking more to my goals. I'm actually seeing like what I'm spending my money on and what I can come back on next month. You know, so even though that doesn't necessarily look glamorous, that is something for me that works.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think a lot of times it's those things that don't feel fun, but that we have to do that, that like in the long run benefit us.
1: Right. And what are some things that you do to take time for your mental health? Like, I feel like therapists, they're in it so much where they're give, constantly like giving advice and talking to other people. But what are some things that you do for yourself?
0: Yeah, so I think one of the biggest things for me is just um, i don't know if being selfish is the right word but being protective of my time um, because i find myself feeling really really drained after a work day um, so i need to like make sure that i'm also like filling my cup back up so i have more to pour from throughout the week so a lot of times um, on my drive home i try and use that as a time to process so Sometimes that will be like, um, you know, me just like thinking, listening to music and thinking, me trying to, um, process through my day. Um, I like to use, I have like a 30 minute commute, so I have some time, uh, to just kind of relax and decompress on my commute. I like to use that. I also really like to read. Um, I like to spend time with my dog. I like to also, um, just make sure I'm getting enough alone time because alone time is really, really crucial for me because I am sitting in a room with people. And a lot of times, I don't know, you kind of absorb other people's energy. And a lot of my clients are, you know, going through a hard time and their energy is not great. So I need to, you know, get that time to refresh my energy or be around people that, um, you know, make me feel good, like my friends and my family
1: yeah I think that's so important about other people's energy and setting time for yourself and just knowing what works for you, which is mm-hmm. great that you have that. And what are your future goals with this? So you mentioned to me that you are starting your own practice. So do you have anything else in mind? or just tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yes, I'm so excited. Um so one of the great things, and I feel like this is another misconception really about counseling is that like you're gonna be poor. Because a lot of mental health agencies really do start you out at like, I don't know, in the 30000 range and you work up from there. So it's not a great starting point. Um, but in private practice, you can make really great money. Like I get paid um, through insurance, kind of like how a doctor would. Um, so insurance reimburses. And then obviously I have to pay my boss a percentage, um, our billing manager, you know, that stuff goes towards our rent and things like that. It's not like I'm pocketing all of that money. But, um, it's a really great business model with private practice. So in 2021, I will be able to open my own practice. I really could open it now if I wanted to only accept self-pay clients. So that means, um, clients would have to just pay cash for all of their sessions, but I really want to be able to accept insurance because I want mental health to be accessible to people most people, if they have insurance, they want to be able to use it, um, which is totally understandable. So that's why I'm waiting because I can't be paneled on um, insurance panels until I have my second C. So right now I am an LPC, which is a licensed professional counselor. And when I get my second C it will just add like, I think it, it's like certified counselor or something at the end of it. Um, so yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm really excited. It's like owning your own business, running it. I could eventually have people who work under me within the next year. So I'm very, very much looking forward to that and looking forward to um, working closer to my home too.
1: That's amazing. Congratulations. I think that's such a cool step for you to start your own practice and like you were saying to me earlier, it is like you are owning a small business. So that's really, really awesome.
0: Yes, thank you.
1: And the last question here is what would you say to those people who are too scared to seek help or too scared to speak to a therapist?
0: Yeah, I would say, you know, most of my clients that I have now felt that way and they reached out and they're coming back week after week so you can do it too. Um, I mean, there's definitely like some things that you can do to try and help alleviate that initial anxiety. Like I would recommend picking someone who looks like you could connect to them. Um, which sounds weird. Like I'm not saying like judge the photo of the therapist you see online, but like a lot of times we can kind of tell who we might connect with just by looking at them and reading a bio. Like I see a lot of clients who are a similar demographic to me. Like I see a lot of college age girls, like I'm not college age anymore, but I'm that next step. So maybe finding someone who, you know, looks like they're at that next step than, than you would, um, you know, kind of put people at ease. And I think too, like millennials are so afraid of using their phones and like calling people, but like, I love it when clients email me because then I can get back to them on my own time. So even if you just want to like send an email and say, Hey, you know, I'm really nervous about this, but I wanted to reach out to you, um, and see if we could set up an appointment, just taking that first step. You don't have to call and talk to a secretary. Like if you go to psychology today, which is an online website where you can find, um, mental health counselors, you know, their emails are almost always on there and you can just email someone and it's, it's super easy.
1: Yeah, I actually didn't know that. So that's really good to know that you can just directly email the therapist that you want to talk to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I prefer it. So,
1: (laughs) And actually, okay, I know I said that was the last question, but I had an idea for another question. Uh What do you think about all of the online um, therapists, like BetterHelp, the ones that you can just like text and you don't have to meet in person?
0: I think it's bad. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I've heard a lot. I do. I've actually like so we have a ton of like ethics behind counseling because everything's confidential. So like I don't get to go home and like talk to my boyfriend and be like my client said this today it was crazy. Like I don't get to do that at all. Um so like there are a lot of ethics behind online counseling where I don't even think better help technically like protects their counselors um or their clients, like I've just heard terrible things from other mental health professionals and they really don't pay those therapists very well. That's another, cause you know, I'm looking into like, you know, what could I do as kind of a side thing and just have a few clients that I like text online or whatever. But the more I looked into it, I was like, Oh my gosh, I feel like this is one big ethical violation waiting to happen. And you can lose your license permanently. And I'm not willing to like risk that at all. So I don't think it's good. I also think it's kind of enabling, like if you're too anxious to go into a session, um, I, I think, you know, I could start with phone sessions and eventually get a client to come in and feel comfortable enough. But like, if you're too anxious to even go into a session, like, and you just want to text someone, I feel like you're not ready for therapy because to me, texting isn't therapy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause you do have to feel like you were even saying earlier, like the energy in the room. I feel like you don't get that with texting. So you don't really know how they are.
0: Oh yeah. And like personality plays a huge role in all of this. Like I laugh with my clients. I know so much about their lives. Like we are, we're not friends because that's kind of a a tricky thing, but in a lot of ways we, we have like a, a relationship, um, a professional relationship. And I really care about my clients. So, and they know things about me. Um, of course they don't know a lot about my personal life, but they know about my personality and who I am. And, um, you know, some of those things that I do share with them. So I think that's really important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I just had to ask you that once you were saying like, Oh, they can email (laughs) me. I'm like, Oh, I wonder what she thinks about that. Because I've heard actually, so my boyfriend's mom is a psychiatrist and Mm -hmm. she does not really like the whole like better help and things like that either. So I was like curious about what you thought about that.
0: Yep, I would have to agree.
1: Well, thank you so much, Alyssa, for coming on the podcast. Is there anything that you want to shout out? Where can they find you? Because I know that you are documenting your. Uh, like starting your private practice, which I think is so cool because that is not on the internet, I feel like.
0: Yes. Um, So if anyone wants to work with me and they live in Ohio, I can only see clients who live in Ohio. Um, They can find me on psychology today. First name's Alyssa with two L's. My last name is Jerlaj, spelled D-Z-I-U-R-L-A-J. You're probably going to have to rewind this podcast and listen again because it's a rough last name.
1: I'll have it um, in the show notes too, so oh, don't perfect.
0: worry. Yeah, yeah, that's smart. Okay. Um, yeah, so you can find me on there if you want to work with me because I can work with anyone in the state of Ohio. So we could do phone sessions. We could do telehealth sessions, which is like Skype. Um And also I do have an Instagram account. It's super new though. I just deleted my old one because I was like, I just want this to be like dedicated to private practice stuff. And it's Alyssa with two L's underscore LPC. Um, Yeah, so that's where you can find me.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I feel like this was actually really, really helpful. And I am so glad that I had you on. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: That was it for today's episode. I would love to know your thoughts on the Facebook page. If you guys have not joined yet, the private Facebook page, be sure to do that. It's in the show notes. We have a discussion on there. It's great. I'm thinking of like going live on there every now and then, or maybe every week after the episode airs. I think it could be a really, really fun way to really talk to you guys about it, but be sure to join the private Facebook page. Follow me on Instagram or follow the podcast on Instagram, and I will see you guys next Monday on another episode of The Real Real Podcast.